Good morning, everybody. And Christ is risen. We are not saying it as if we are sure. You don't understand what started like a rumor yesterday night has become breaking news in Jerusalem this morning. Christ is risen. We have tried to recap what actually happened since Thursday that Jesus started his last moments in ministry. He started with the Passover feast with his disciples, which is the giving of the law, uh, the, the, the passing, the Passover feast, which means the saving of the Israelites in Egypt when they put the blood of the lamb on their doors. And God gave instruction that that ceremony must continue from generation to generation so that people will know how God saved the Israelites. And that law is still valid. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. Even though he's going to die for our sin, his grace is not going to push away the law. The law is as valid as the grace that he is going to give us. And then he washed his disciples' feet. In other words, humbling them to understand that they are servants of God. Washing the feet, he said, whoever will be the leader among you must be your servant. Because there were squambling between the disciples, who is going to be in charge after Jesus left? How, what is the hierarchy of power and authority? You could remember Mevrao Zebedee, who took his, her two sons and said to Jesus, let one be in your right hand and the other one be in your left hand in that kingdom. But Jesus is trying to tell them, no, it's not going to work like that. Because even when I go, the Holy Spirit will be in charge. And that also means that there is no democracy in church, like I said on Thursday or Friday. We are coming to try to humble ourselves before God. There is nobody coming here to teach God what to do or to direct God in the direction he will lead us. You know, if God is living in Holland and have an address, he will be in trouble. There will be too much telephone call. There will be too much memo, too much question. But it's not like that. We must humble ourselves before God. And then we saw Judas, who betrayed Jesus, because he wanted to take matter into his own hand. And Judas represents power from inside. It will take the power from inside to destroy the inside. 
It can't take the power from outside. The power of darkness outside. All the people against the church and the teachings of the church cannot destroy the church unless there is a member of the church who helped them come inside to destroy the church. That's what Judas represented. And that's why Jesus told his disciples seriously that we must be united. We must be one people with one faith, with one understanding. And that's why when he wants to send them out in Matthew 28, go into the world and preach the gospel, he did not give them different type of gospel for different type of people. I'm just trying to recap what we have done previous day, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. He didn't give them a message, uh, when you go to India, you tell them like that. Give them this message this way. If you manage to get to Greeks or Athens, this is the way you will talk to them. If you come to Holland or Germany or Belgium, try to give them this message this way because these are different people with different culture and with different understanding. He didn't do that. Or if you go to Venezuela or Jamaica, you give them this type of message. And when you go to America, these are their style of messaging. Or if you go to Africa, give them this message this way. He didn't do that. He gave them one message, one philosophy, one love for all nations because the truth is the truth everywhere. Truth has no culture. Thou shalt not steal in Venezuela is thou shalt not steal in Belgium. And when you say you don't understand, it's just like somebody said, I asked her to give me this glass. He said, no. Then I said, I don't understand. What part of that no did I not understand? And that's how the law is. That Jesus made us one. We are pursuing one kingdom. We are one people. One belief. So righteousness is not a religion. You cannot say you don't understand righteousness. Anytime truth is guilty, there is corruption in power. And this morning, like I told you, it started like a rumor yesterday night. He has risen. Mary, Magdalene, Salome, and all the other women, they went to the grave of Jesus because he was hurriedly buried to put spice on the body. And when they came there, they were worrying when they were going. Who will roll away the stone? Because Satan also knew the word of God. He understood when Jesus was saying, I will rise the third day. So he made sure he did everything to stop him from rising. They bring a very big stone to cover the grave. And you see everything that was orchestrated on Good Friday indicates that our battle is not a small battle. 
Our battle is a very serious battle. We are battling with the power of darkness. And the question that I asked yesterday night is, why is it that Satan has so much power? How come that God allows Satan to occupy the kind of power he is having? And that's what is keeping many people from coming to church. If God is almighty, why is this happening? If God is merciful, why did my grandmother die? If God is that, why did he take away my father? These are the things that are keeping people away from because they don't understand God. You see, if it is a challenge between God and Satan, we saw that when he attempted Job. He went to the assemble of God and they asked him, where are you coming? I'm coming from the wall. God said, did you see my servant Job? How grateful he is. He said, yeah, I saw him. Are you not the person who gave him all the money he's enjoying? Did you see the kind of house he's living? Did you see his farm and how many houses and how many chariots are there? Why can't I worship you? You can take all that away if you want. What is God saying and why did he allow, allow Satan to occupy such power? You see, God is trying to take pride in me and in you. In our own small strength, in as weak as we are, ordinary fever can knock us down. Ordinary headache can keep us from going to work. And in such weakness, to compare with the power that Satan has, God said, do whatever you can. There must be people that will not bow down to you. There must be people that will worship me. So irrespective of all his power, the idea that you can wake up in the morning and believe in God is a victory to heaven. The idea that you can, under any circumstance, stay trusting God. Heaven is winning. Amen? So the little contribution that you are doing to righteousness, whether it is helping the poor, whether it is helping the elderly people, whether it is coming to church to play music, whether it is organizing the technicalities of our instrument, whether it is being the priest or leading the service, the little effort you are making every day to be a good person is recorded in heaven because that little effort in all your weaknesses is why Satan is being fooled. With all his power, he is being fooled. His power has become useless as weak as we are. In all the torture we suffer in this world, in our heart is the burning light of God. He can't take that away. He can go to hell with all his power and the destruction that is causing on this earth. If he brings in coronavirus, we go on Zoom. Yes. If a neko take their light, we put on candle. A neko can never take candle. A neko can never take candle. They can take the light. 
But we take our, I will put on our candle. We, we have light on our own. And this morning, like we are saying, you are encouraged. You are encouraged to be as good as you can. The record is valid. God knows your weakness. He knows your circumstances. He knows your situation. But that little you can do is why the kingdom of heaven is winning. And today, when they orchestrated, they, killed, they put a very big stone. And when these women were going there, they were worried. Who will take away the stone? How will we take away the stone? But going there, they realized God has everybody's back. God knows what you're feeling. God knows what you're going through. And he has your back. And like I said yesterday night, life and, and death, you have nothing to lose. What Jesus, the transformation that Jesus has done this morning is to show us that the cloth of death has become the cloth of hope. You wrap somebody who is dead and bury the person without any faith. You have no hope of seeing the person again. But what Jesus Christ, the cloth of death, has become the cloth of hope. And that's why we should rejoice and rejoice and rejoice again. The last word Jesus said in the, in, on the cross is tetelasia in Greek. Tetelasia in Greek is translated in English, it is finished. If you translate it in Dutch, there is a very nice one word, Dutch, that goes that perfectly, futoid. Futoid. That's a very perfect word, futoid. It's complete. This satellite or its finish can be used in three forms. It can be used in a business form when somebody has a business transaction with somebody else, and uh, in Greek, he put a stamp on the receipt and said, it's last year, which means paid in full. It can also be used in administrative form for people who are in prison or for people who are in bondage for any crime, for their sin. And uh, the, when they serve their time and they are, they are to be released, the chief magistrate will put in the form, release form, which means served in, a, in full. It can also be used in military time. And the military time, when there is a war, and uh, they want to declare the end of the war, like when Germany was defeated in the Second World War, they will put a stamp after the agreement that Germany will surrender, that the last year, which means the battle is fully won. So three times Jesus is telling us our wages of sin is paid. The battle for our soul is completed. 
The battle for our soul is won. The victory for our salvation is fully completed. Now, what is the next thing? Like I said yesterday, you know, there was a day I was traveling to Jerusalem via Jeddah. And usually when I travel, I wear my cassock, my arm, to identify myself. So I had a Muslim who would drop a Jeddah sitting next to me on the plane. And I was looking at him, he was looking at me. I don't know how to start conversation with him. And this man made my day. He decided to mock me. He told me, you are going to Jerusalem. I said, yeah, I can't be going to Mecca with this kind of cloth. He said, yeah, I'm going for pilgrimage. I'm going to Jeddah. I will stop in Jeddah first, and after that, I will go to Medina. But listen, you Christians, I don't understand you. He said to me, when I go to Mecca at the mosque of Mohammed, I visit his grave. I know he is buried there. I know if I, the Muhammad is buried in that grave and his bones, his body are there. But you, Christian, I don't understand you. You stupid man, you are going to pray in an empty grave where there is nobody. I said, Jesus, thanks, sir. <laughs> now it's time for me to talk. I asked him, are you sure in that grave that Muhammad is there? He said, yes. If we happen to dig, we shall find his bone. He said, yes. He said, yeah. He used the word, query de gaskia, which means completely true. I said, well, well, let me ask you again. Are you sure that when we go to Jesus' grave, we will find nobody there? He said, no, he's not there, I'm sure. Even Quran told us he's not there. <laughs> I said to him, if Muhammad is lying on that grave, couldn't save himself, couldn't get up, how, what makes you think that when you die, you will be released by him who cannot release himself? Now you told me, I am going to an empty grave to pray because I know when I die, Jesus has risen. That's what you told me. He will also reason me from the dead because he said, who that believes in me, even though he die, will live again. And I'm watching him with carefulness because he can break my teeth. <laughs> so he kept quiet for a while, pretended as if he's sleeping, <laughs> rolled down his chair, and I was watching with interest. The plane flew for about 45 minutes. He woke up and said to me, hey, listen, my friend. This thing you said to me, I never thought about it like that. I have never considered it like that. But I dare not tell my people that. If I tell them that, they will kill me. I'm dead. But I never thought it like that. I said, why can't you become Christian? He said to me, listen, not too fast. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> and that is the major difference. 
The cloth of death has become the cloth of hope. And what then? The next now, like I said yesterday, is to follow the rules, follow the instructions of Jesus Christ. That's all. We follow every day the instruction and the rule of Jesus Christ until the end. And how will we do that? I recall yesterday when I was in school, a professor gave us an exam. He wrote six questions. He said, six questions to answer only two. Answer question four and six. He wrote under. Some of the students who did not read the instruction very well, and this man was very clever, the question one was very cheap. Question two was very cheap. Question three was very cheap. Question four is the real exam question. F was cheap, six was the real exam question. And he said, answer two, only two questions out of six, but answer four and six. Many students didn't read the instructions. They just stopped and answer two questions. They started from number one, writing, writing, giving all the correct answer. They answered number two, giving all the correct answer. And they came outside, they were proud. We will get A in this paper. When the result came, many of the students failed. Why? Because they did not read the instruction very well. So they And sometimes I tell you, it can be answer two questions and your answer is 500 words only, which means half of the full scar, or just one full scar page. And then if you don't read the instruction very well, you keep writing, you know the answer. You pour everything on the paper, asking for more paper. Paper, please. You'll be writing. You write four full scrap pages and you submit and you go and wait. The man will read half page. He stop. He will use his red pen and cross the rest because he didn't say two full scrap pages. And then everything you wrote, maybe your main answer to the question is on the down the line. Fail, come. So as Christians, we must follow the instruction. If you lose this battle, that Jesus said is finished, victory is given to you, paid in full. If you lose it, you lost it out of carelessness, not out of the grace is there. Follow the instruction. Love your neighbor. Do righteousness. It doesn't matter to who. You are not doing it for anybody. You are doing it for God. And that reminds me another thing. The law is as valid as the grace. But we have the grace to follow the law. There is something I learned from Jesus which I don't do anymore. The question is, why did Jesus come in person? He could have sent an angel like Gabriel who usually come and talk to Mary or to Joseph. Why did he have to come in human form? It's because he wants to extend, God came in person to extend the hand of friendship to me and to you. One thing I don't do anymore is to teach people to obey the law. 
quote me. I don't teach people to obey the law. Why? You see this flower there? Let me use this one. Everybody saying this. This flower can be in this church every Sunday for one year. Nobody will notice it. If people go home and you ask them, hey, what is the color of the flower at the altar? He'll tell you, I don't really look at it properly. If you want to see who people are, you make a law. The moment you make a law in this church, nobody should touch this flower. The first thing people do when they come is to come close this flower. <laughs> to come and see what exactly is in this flower that they said we shouldn't touch it. Because it has now become law. Let me move it a little bit. This is human beings. The moment you create a law, that law is the first thing they will like to break. And Jesus knew that all the law that we are giving to Moses, nobody is keeping any of them. And then he decided to come in person. I teach people to befriend God. I don't teach people to obey the law. I teach people to befriend, be a friend of God. If you become a friend of God, you will obey all the law without knowing it. You know what it means to fall in love. You will be obeyed. When you decide to become a friend of Jesus, first you will not like to offend Jesus. First, you will like Jesus to be happy with you in the same way that you are happy with Jesus. And all the law that God gave, you will be obeying them without knowing it with ease. So what Jesus did by coming in person is to make you a friend of God, to come in human form, to come on your as you, as you to befriend God. Forget about the law. Be a friend of God. When God said, love your neighbor, he said, I'm gonna, I don't like this guy, but I'm going to love him because Jesus said so. And Jesus is my friend. I don't want to offend my friend. I don't want to break up with my friend. If you do that, you will see every instruction that is given as we move on, you will note it. Because you are doing it for your friend. You are doing it for your love of your friend. All the passion I have in becoming a priest is because I see Jesus as my friend. When I was going to church, like I said earlier, I was going to church to please my mother so that I can come home on Sunday and have something to eat. Yeah, if I go and play football on Sunday morning, I come home, my plate will be empty. There will be no food for me. And my mother will say, go to the God of football. Let him give you food. This food comes from my God. You are not worshiping my God. And you won't have it. So I decided to go to church to please my mother. During the offering, if I come to church, I will make one stupid noise so that my mother will know I'm there. <laughs> but when I became a friend of God, 
Everything changed. Everything changed. I don't care whether people are insulting me anymore. I don't care whatever that is going on in my life anymore. I have that passion to befriend Jesus and to remain as a friend. And that's what he said. That's why he died. That's why he came. But instead of the law, you can become a friend of God. Remember, as we are jubilating, there is panic in the kingdom of darkness. Don't think everybody is jubilating. 2,500 years ago, not everybody is jubilating. There are some people who are making counter plan. What shall we say? Let's say his disciples told him. Let's say he was taken. We didn't, we didn't. Jehovah's Witness in particular. They have an incomplete theology. They will tell you. Yeah, we know Jesus is risen, but he's not risen physically. Okay. Where is his body? They say, I don't know. I always like to welcome them in my house because I don't know who I am. They carry down their bag and they come and say, hey, Jehovah will come. Come in. You want coffee? Sit down. They will start to tell me about Jesus and I start to ask them questions. One day I ask them questions, I ask them questions. The woman said, I will overlay her. <laughs> he got confused. I want to go and ask our teacher. I say, come, I will teach you. What you are saying is unreal. Be a friend of God. That's my message this morning. The cloth of hope has become, the cloth of death is turned into cloth of hope in Jesus' name.